0: Mark 6, 45 through 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened.
1: You feel walloped by just the storms of life. You know, I don't have to tell you about what COVID has done in our country, in our world for the last two years and now running into a third year. About political struggles and warfare, class warfare, racial stuff that happens in our culture. And when you, just when you feel like, oh, my family or my church is this safe place from confusion and from hurt, then you experience hurt in those places and those communities as well. Because we're doing life together with other broken people. And sometimes we hurt them, and sometimes they hurt us, and there's confusion. And you've just been through the ringer of of confusion and loss and questions. And some of you, frankly, this morning may be like, I'm wondering where God is. Like, is he going to show up in the middle of all this and make things right, make things new? And this morning, as we look at Jesus encountering the storm, I want to give you these three points. Mark shows us the reality of storms the reason for storms and the rescuer from storms. Okay, so I say the reality of storms, and this is very basic, but the disciples, going back to the beginning of the story, we find that Jesus has been teaching all day. He's been doing miracles, and the disciples literally at the end of that day, they go down to the sea, they get in a boat. They're simply rowing across to the other side, a little lake really is what it is. The Sea of Galilee is like a lake, And they're going across to a familiar side to set up for the next day. And all of a sudden, verse 48 says they're making headway painfully for the wind was against them. So the storm comes down on the lake once they're already set out in what's probably just a little fishing boat. And a couple of fascinating words here. Mark is literally saying the wind was hostile to them, so their progress was torturous. And you picture these 12 guys in this little boat, and they're rowing with all their might. And there's probably also a little sail that's trying to catch these gusts of winds. And they are working and working and working, and they're getting nowhere. Because just a little bit of context, the Bible says they set out before sundown. It's now the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. So they've been rowing for somewhere around 9 to 12 hours, And we know from the Gospel of John, they've only made it about three miles. So they're going at this blistering pace of like a quarter mile an hour as all of them row together. And now they're caught in the middle of the lake and their boat is being beaten by the waves. And I wanna just pause there and just picture yourselves in that boat, in that situation. You're working, 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 exhausting yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, maybe even spiritually. And you're like, not only are we not going anywhere, but our lives are in peril and they're afraid. And I want you to just think like, what, what sorts of things would you experience? What, what would you feel in the midst of the fury of that literal storm? And I think we need to begin there with Mark's talking about a literal storm. This is not an analogy, it's not a metaphor. It's like they're in a, like a little hurricane, a squall what would you be feeling? And I mentioned their fear, but I think they also sense futility. Like we're working, working, working. It's not getting us anywhere. Like nothing's happening. The the productivity, the progress that we expected is not happening at all. We're just, I mean, to mix metaphors, they're spinning their wheels. They're getting nowhere. And that must be frustrating. And they are physically fatigued. And as I said, emotionally fatigued and probably beginning to feel like a failure. And I just wonder if you can relate to any of those feelings of fear, futility, frustration. Like, God, I've been working at, maybe it's a relationship or a progress track in education or in my business or with a family member or with church. And it just doesn't seem to be producing the kind of results that I thought. And I'm shifting now because scripture itself uses the idea of storms as a metaphor for the trials of life. And probably many of you this morning feel like I'm tortured by my circumstances. My circumstances, this particular situation where this person is hostile against me. Or maybe someone feels like I'm... I'm Pounded by wave after wave of something harmful, something painful, something discouraging. And as some of you come in here this morning, like, God, please fill me up this morning because I am empty. I am worn out by this combination of all these F words fear, futility, frustration, fatigue, failure. And the first thing that Jesus wants you to know is simply this is real. This is your reality, just as it was the reality of Jesus' 12 closest friends that he did life and ministry with. And I think it's important for you to hear because it is a myth, it is a lie that storms don't come into the lives of good and godly people. And some of you, there's a popular theological, let alone ideological teaching that's out there that says, like, if you're just sincere enough in your faith or you're a good enough person, you'll just experience prosperity and wealth and goodness. And folks, according to the Bible, that's a lie. The storms are real. Furthermore, it's a myth. It's a lie that storms are evidence of God's punishment or his displeasure. I mean, sure, many of you know the story of the Old Testament prophet Jonah, who's running from the will of God and he experiences storms. But these guys, note, are running to do the will of God and they experience a storm. And this is a very important detail. Look at verse 45. It says, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. It's literally the word compelled. Because they probably want to stay with him. Like, we'll go where you go. And he's like, no, I'm going to go up on this mountain to pray tonight with just me and the Father. I'm compelling you, look at this, to go before me to the other side. So these men, these friends of Jesus, far from being out of the will of God, are doing exactly what the Savior told them to do. And they walk right into the middle of a storm. So this doesn't happen to discipline them, to rebuke them for being off course. It just happened. And it just happens to you and to me too. So that's the reality of the storms. And then this next point is so important. Why? Why did it like just happen? Why, if they're being obedient to the Lord, to the Savior, to the Master, does this kind of thing happen to them? So point two, the reason for storms. And this is so important. We need to know as human beings made in the image of God that our suffering has a purpose. And all of you know there's a difference between suffering with no goal, no end, no purpose in sight. And you're like, it's pointless, it's absurd, it's futile. Maybe the existentialist got it all right. And life is like one big joke. And God himself is like, no, it's not. Let me show you. And friends, you, you know the difference between like a painful, hard storm or trial that has a good purpose and something that doesn't. Because many of you, like especially this time of year, we're still in January, right? Yeah, we're, we're coming to the end. So some of you are giving up on this, but you start out the year on like whole 30, some kind of diet, some kind of exercise regimen. And you're like, it's painful. It's a storm. This is terrible, right? And, and, you're, and you're going through it. Because there's a trajectory, there's an end goal in sight. You're like, I want to be healthier this year. I lift heavy things because I want to be stronger. Okay, we understand that. We understand, ladies, you carry a child inside you for 40 weeks, and it's uncomfortable, and you've got morning sickness, and your back is out, and then you've you got to deliver this. But you get a baby. You get a child that you love. There, it's, it's purposeful suffering. Or you go to a painful surgery to correct something. You go to months of painful physical therapy, but again, there's a goal in mind that you get healthier. We just need to know that our suffering has an end goal. And that's another dangerous myth, that our suffering is just haphazard, it's meaningless. And God has a purpose. And I want to show you two big things here. First of all, storms reveal a great bit of truth about ourselves, Do you know that's what God is up to is he's trying to teach us about ourselves and he's also trying to teach us about himself, okay? So let's look at this. Let's look at some details in the text. First of all, I said storms reveal a great bit of truth about ourselves. First of all, storms reveal our limitations. So you go back to this story and the the story that had just happened is Jesus had gone away to a desolate place. He had literally fed 5,000 men plus women and children from one little kid's snack, right? The five loaves and the two fish. And Jesus is just standing there blessing these things and dividing and dividing and dividing. And the disciples all of a sudden are like, man, this is pretty sweet because we're the 12, you know, kind of, we're doing the food distribution thing. So we're associated with the guy doing the amazing thing. And at the end, we go around and collect all this food. And so I think when they go down and get in that boat, they're riding pretty high. We're associated with this, grand master of miracles. And then all of a sudden they are brought back down to earth and they're like, oh snap, we are not in control. We are not all powerful. We are dependent creatures. Just this week I was rummaging through some of our church storage and looking for some particular things and bent down to pick something up and ruptured a disc in my back. And it's just like that fast, my whole family knows, it's like I become this like no longer in control of my next several days of plans, dependent person. Or some of you had this experience this week with that rare freezing drizzle that we don't often have here, thankfully, and you're driving and you're completely in control and you hit a patch of ice and you are no longer in control. And God often like, and I mean this, graciously puts things in our lives to remind us you are not independent. You are not sovereign. You, you're dependent. You have limitations. And this is a grace that he brings us back to himself and says, you need to depend on someone who is in control. So storms reveal our limitations. Number two, storms reveal our instinctive, functional, core beliefs. I mean, you know that like when life is just kind of going according to your plan, you're probably not even that aware of like, what are my deepest functional heart beliefs that I'm using to interpret the world? What, what, what's setting my mental maps that help me make sense of what's going on, what trajectory I want in life? It's kind of like a lens that we look through, but never really stop and examine I was at the eye doctor last week and they're they're kind of like and this like this is so shameful but they're like uh they're like have you uh have you thought about bifocals? And I was like, "No." Like, "Look at look at this. Like you think I'm up for bifocals?" And she was like, "Well, your age does start with a 4." And for men, that's about the time when you um, so literally, like for the first time in my life, I have these like, bifocal contact lenses that are one, one subscription in the middle and then one subscription around the outside edge. So when I look down, I can, I can actually read my sermon notes and keep talking and, and stay on theme. And what a blessing. But I was like looking at these things. Here's my point of that illustration, other than just feeling sad for me. Um, <laughs> as I hold up these lenses and like, look at them rather than simply looking through them, It's fascinating to consider, like, this is what's helping helping me literally, like, in real time, interpret my world. And a lot of times, God is using a trial, a storm in your life, to say, instead of just looking through, kind of subconsciously, these lenses, these beliefs, sometimes you need to hold them at arm's length, almost, and look at them, and be like, what is that thing? I'm sharing this because... You look again at the text, and when the disciples are stressed by this storm, and they see Jesus walking to them on the, on the sea, they're not like, oh, Jesus, thank goodness. They're like, it's a ghost. And it's like the Greek word phantasma. Like, it's a phantasm. And get that, like a, a phantasm, a ghost, a spirit was more real to them because of their underlying beliefs than the possibility that their own Savior would come to rescue them. And that's the culture they grew up in. I mean, back in those days, the sea was like this last, like, unmapped, uncharted, terrifying place that is like the abode of the dead, and it's dark, and it's brooding, and it's uncontrolled and untamable. And they're like, ah, these, this, like, it's the grim reaper coming up out of the sea to come take us down. And that belief was more real to them than maybe it's our friend, maybe it's our messiah. And Jesus is prompting us with his story to say, let's hold at arm's length and consider some of our own unstated but very real beliefs that come out under pressure. And I just wrote down a couple to kind of suggest the kind of thing I'm talking about. Some of you would say, like, I thought prayer made a difference, which is why I spend so much time in a daily discipline of prayer. But the unconscious, unstated belief would be, but now I'm not so sure because I've prayed and prayed and prayed for God to take this thing away or for God to heal me or for God to bless me in a particular way and nothing's changing. And maybe an unstated belief is just I don't I don't think prayer works. Or maybe an unstated belief is I don't think there's any point in like living a life of submission to Christ, of trying to be holy, of wanting to serve God because it doesn't seem to make any difference. Or maybe an unstated belief is that your situation is more real to you than your savior. And friends, that's so important as we go through chaos and confusion and storms, even together, it's one thing to acknowledge the storm, it's another to say, this is more real to me. This is where my focus is, this is where my obsession is, rather than saying, I acknowledge my situation, but I look to my savior, because he is just as real, if not more real to me than the storm. Some of you may realize under pressure in a storm, my life and satisfaction are really just about me because I see other things going well. I see other people doing well and I'm envious of them and I'm angry because my life isn't going spectacularly well and God is showing me an underlying belief that life is all about me. Maybe God's showing you functionally, I trust myself, my resources, my energy, my wisdom, rather than actually trusting God. And again, I wanted to say it's God's kindness that he uses storms to say, take the lens out for a moment, hold it at arm's length, and acknowledge what it is that is the belief that is interpreting your world. Okay? Number three, we're still talking about how storms reveal a great bit of truth about ourselves. Number three, storms reveal what we fear. And I think this is pretty obvious, but in, in a previous storm in Mark 4, God is showing the disciples, you are afraid of drowning, which is a completely rational fear when you're in the middle of a hurricane. I'm not, I'm not rebuking them. I'm just saying it revealed a fear. Here, we find out they're afraid of ghosts. You know, who knew until this story and this storm that the disciples were afraid of ghosts. God is using storms in your life and in my life the same way. He wants to show us what we fear, because things that remain hidden under the surface of our hearts, that that again are are causing us to believe certain things and to act in certain ways, often remain unseen until we hit a storm. And then, like for me, oftentimes what I'm like immediately realizing is like I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of the loss of control. I'm afraid of failure. I don't want to fail at stuff that I've worked really hard on. I like to be in control versus not being in control. And I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want to be left alone. Where is God showing you a fear that, that, that maybe in a sense is a healthy fear, but you've allowed it to become a controlling fear? So it shapes you in very negative ways, not into the image of God, but just into the image of a fearful person. Maybe you fear what others think of you, and a storm comes, a bad experience comes, and suddenly you realize, like, I am so controlled by what other people think of me, and I'm constantly manipulating and managing my reputation instead of just living for the glory of God and the joy of other people. Or maybe, like me, you do fear, like, a loss of control. And so you lost control and you're like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me because I'm not in control. Or maybe you fear not being loved and appreciated. Again, the desire for love and affirmation is a good and healthy thing, but not if it becomes a controlling thing. Do you fear losing financial stability or health? Do you fear the exposure of your sin or maybe even your past that's not sinful, but it was hurtful to you, it's painful to you? And so you try to hide that, and a storm is bringing that out. And I could go on and on, but just when a trial comes, ask yourself what you're so afraid of, and let God show you those fears so that he can heal you in those dark places, those deep places of your soul. Finally, here for this first point, one more thing that storms reveal about us, and that is storms reveal areas where growth is still needed. There's a really odd statement here at the end of the story you might have caught. After Jesus comes to the disciples in the storm, on the water, gets in the boat with them, the storm stops. Mark Mark writes this, and they were utterly astounded for, he's going to give you the reason why they're astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So the picture here is this. After Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes, I doubt any of the disciples would have said, hey, forgive my hard heart, Jesus, but um, what was that about? They're sitting back like, yeah, we get it. We're good. And Jesus puts them in a storm to say, you don't understand. You don't understand what I just did. I'll come back to that in just a moment, but... Do you ever find yourself that this is true of you where you're like, yeah, 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 I totally get it. And you're like, I don't get it. You ever do that? My kids do that to me all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we totally understand what you're asking us to do right now. They have no idea, okay? Or they know and they don't wanna do it. That's a different thing, but but, but they don't get it. They haven't really grasped it yet. They haven't synthesized into their thinking, into their heart, and neither have I. So there's this, this, this truth, this belief of like, You could say, I'm not in control, but God is. And you'd be like, I grasp that truth. I live that. And then you get in a storm and you're like, I still need to grow in that, don't I? Like, yes, cognitively, I believe I don't need to be in control if God is, and I believe that he is. But you get in a storm and you're like, no, actually, I just want to drive. Functionally, I don't want God to be in control. I want to be in control. Or, or you may say, like, I don't have to understand you, God, in order to trust you. And you get in a storm and you're like, I still need to grow in that because I, I actually want to understand you. I want you to explain yourself and, and then I'll trust you. Or maybe you feel like you've moved past a particular sin or a particular habit and you're like, I'm coming into this explosive season of awesome growth and a storm hits and you're like, I'm not where I thought I was. And it's, it's humbling But again, all these layers of things that are God's kindness in the storm that he's showing us about ourselves are just like, do you depend on me? Do you rely on me? So whatever storms you're going through in your lives, friends, and I know there are many different layers of storms and types of storms, but we're wise to ask these questions and say, because God is always doing something good, what is he trying to teach me about myself? And on the flip side of that now, Storms reveal a great bit of truth about God. What is he trying to show me about himself? And I'll make this point really quick because like two big words here that I want you to see in this story, and the words themselves don't show up, but the concepts do, are both the transcendence and the eminence of God in the person of Jesus. So transcendence is the idea that that someone is over and above all things. They're even beyond comprehension, like just really big and awesome and other transcendent. The idea of eminence is almost the opposite. It's like the nearness of someone or the intimacy, the accessibility. And it's incredible to me that in one story, Jesus intends to show them, I'm transcendent, I'm wholly other, and I'm right here. So let's look at that for just a moment. Verse 48, I'm first showing you his transcendence. So it says, he came to them walking on the sea. And like some skeptical theologians and non-Christians would try to say, well, either this story never actually happened or C.C., Here's what happened is uh, he was walking on a sandbar and his disciples are like, whoa, Jesus has the power to walk on the sea. And the only problem is John says they're like miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and there is no such geographic feature of that lake, okay? So this is not an optical illusion. It's not a hoax. It's not like he hires a, a, a massive nuclear destroyer to just power through the waves and get to them. It says he treads upon the waves. So this ominous, terrifying, untamable thing in the ancient world, Jesus is like, and I don't mean he's like do to do, he's just like I- I'm good. I'm in control. And this is incredible because if you go back to the Old Testament, Job chapter 9 verse 8, Literally says, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Yahweh alone can trample the waves of the sea. So what's Jesus showing his disciples? He's showing them, I'm God. Like, I just walk on stuff that the Old Testament says that God walks on. And it's interesting because if, if you rewind a couple chapters, and I won't read this whole story, but in, in chapter 4 of Mark, just two chapters earlier, there was a previous storm on this same Sea of Galilee. You may know the story. Jesus is taught all day. He's tired, goes into the bow of the ship, lies down on a cushion, falls asleep. Disciples again go out in the middle of the lake. This storm comes down on the lake. The boat's being swamped with water. They're afraid of drowning. And finally, they're like waking Jesus up like, Master, do you not care that we're dying? And he like wakes up, I don't know, rubs his eyes, and is like, hush, be quiet. And Mark's like, not only is it like, okay, the wind's gradually, he's like, glass, instantaneously, dead calm. And I point you to that story because the disciples there are also astonished and they, they ask, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, now two chapters later, they get their answer because when Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, he calls out to them to calm their fears. And this sounds a little wooden, take heart, it is I. You know, that sounds very formal. Like, oh, you're terrified, you're gonna die, you're exhausted, the futility has overwhelmed you, you're fatigued, you're failing. It's okay. It is I. Sounds very British or something. And I don't think it's just that they're like, oh, Jesus. Like, we didn't recognize you, but now we know your voice. There's something incredible going on here. You can look it up in the Greek. And what Jesus literally said is simply take heart. I am. I am. So they got this question, who is this Jesus that calms the seas with his voice? Who is this Jesus that treads on the waves and gets in the boat with us? Because he loves desperate, exhausted, terrified people, and he identifies with people like that. Who is this Jesus? And he's telling them, I'm the same God who met with Moses in the burning bush in the Old Testament. And you remember this story? He's like, Moses, I'm calling you to go to Egypt and deliver millions of people from bondage. And, uh, and Moses is like, I'm, I, first, I think you have the wrong guy. But then he's like, uh, who should I say sent me? Because they're going to want to know. And God said, tell them I am sent you. That's where we get the name Yahweh. I am. In other words, I just am. Like I'm self-existent. I'm sovereign. I'm dependent on no one and nothing. I control everything. And I said I'd come back to this now. What's the deal with the disciples not understanding about the loaves? Well, What what were they supposed to realize about Jesus that they're not grasping yet? And here's the thing. So Jesus leads thousands of people out into the middle of a desolate place. And it's like, oh, we're going to starve. And Jesus is like, feed them. And they're like, well, we, we don't have anything to feed them with. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll give them bread and meat in the middle of nowhere, thousands of people, miraculously. What are you reminded of? When God in the Old Testament, in the same Exodus, where I am is revealed, led thousands or millions of people out into a desolate place and fed them miraculously with bread and meat. And in fact, in John 6, which is a parallel to this story, then Jesus kind of teaches his disciples and he says, you're so dependent on this bread. He says, I am the bread of life. And whoever takes me in will never be hungry again because I will satisfy you on and on forever, okay? So I'm still talking about his transcendence and the the lesson the disciples missed. I think they're obviously aware he is a great teacher of ethics and morals and love and kindness and grace and truth, great teacher, unparalleled teacher. He's even a a, a itinerant miracle worker, But I think they're still missing the fact that this is God, fully God. And by the end of the story, the parallel in Matthew 14, verse 33, when Jesus gets in the boat and the storm is calm, it says they worshiped him and said, truly you are the son of God. So they're seeing the transcendence, the uniqueness, the otherness of God. But at the same time, I said his imminence. And I want you to notice in this story, Jesus is way closer than the disciples realize. Verse 48 is incredible to me because it says, well, while Jesus is alone on the mountain, you ever catch this detail? They're out there just struggling for their lives with all their might. They're exhausted. They're distressed. They're at the end of themselves. And it says, Jesus saw them. And he didn't just see them and like call down a miracle from a distance, it says Jesus saw them, so he went to them. He went right into the middle of the sea and made their experience his experience. And it says he walks all the way to them. He got in the boat with them. We still have an expression today. We're in the same boat. Um, I don't know if it came from this originally, but it's the idea of we have a shared experience. What you're going through, I've, I've come to go through that with you, and that's your God. Not just standing aloof and saying, i got power to control that thing, but literally coming to you in the midst of your storm and saying, I am with you, I am for you. And I want to just encourage you with with whatever storms, again, the layers and layers of storms that you're facing to say, God, not only what is this teaching me about me, but what is this storm teaching me about you? What am I missing in your character or your promises that you want to show me again? Now, finally, so we've looked at the reality of the storm. We've looked at the reason for the storm. Let's close with this, the rescuer from storms. And what I want to point out here is that this story, whatever, seven, eight verses, whatever it is, is actually a microcosm of the Bible's great narrative, which is salvation, okay? Here's the idea. We are lost. You and I are lost in futility, fatigue, frustration, failure. We are incapable of self-rescue. Even when we don't see him and acknowledge him, the son of God, Jesus sees us. He intercedes for us. But more than that, he comes to us. He makes our experience his experience. He climbs in with us. And I wanna just slow down for a moment and highlight three things about what I just said. So the rescuer from storms, first of all, look at this. Jesus makes God known in the storm. And there's an interesting detail here that I've skipped over so far. And if you, if you saw it, it's odd in verse 48. And you might be like, is this a typo? Is this a gaff? Like, what did Mark mean to say? Because verse 48, he says, J- Jesus' original intent, as he comes to his disciples on the sea, walking on the water, it says his original intention was actually to what? To pass by them. And you're like, that, that can't be right. Well, it is right. Because remember that I, I shared Job 9, 8, which says only God treads upon the waves of the sea. Well, if you were in Job 9, three verses later, this is what Job says. Behold, he passes me by and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. And the picture is like not that he didn't catch a glimpse, but the idea is like this, this God who treads on the waves of the sea is so transcendent, so holy, so other. There's no possible way we can know him. And now I'm using the word know. is like not cognitively know things about him, but there's no way we could know him, like have a relationship with him. Until Jesus is like walking on the sea that day and he's showing them, first of all, I intend to pass by because you need to know I'm God, but then something changes and he turns in and he comes to them and he makes the rescuer fully known. Like I can have a relationship with this God, which is why we will often say like we go to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit because he delights to make God known. Jesus is making God known. Secondly, Jesus identifies with you in the storm. And this is so important. Jesus, again, he's not remaining aloof. He's not like, oh, I see you and I'm just gonna pray for you and call down a miracle. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna send a carrier pigeon or, or like a smoke signal from the top of the mountain. Like, it's okay, I got this. And they're like, oh, look, it's the master. It's, no, he, he, he comes to them. It's like, if you're in a storm, then I'm in this storm with you. If you're in a boat, then I'm in the boat with you. And the point is, in all these ways, Jesus is identifying with his friends in their time of need. And right now, the Bible says, you and I have a great high priest, an intercessory prayer warrior who sympathizes with our weakness and our trials because he identifies with us and he's made our experience his experience. So when life hurts... God is closer than you think if you love Christ. God is closer than you think. But now here's the, the linchpin of this whole thing, okay? So Jesus has just done this massive miracle. And if you read this story, like over and over again, these, these throngs of Jewish people are like, we want to make you king, so you say you're Messiah. We want to make you king. We're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to get our country back. We're going to get our temple back. We're going to get our God back, and everything's going to be fine. So, so be king. And what they mean is be king on our terms. And this is why Jesus, at the end of that long day, with thousands of people following him, dependent on him, he's like, I need some space. And he goes off in a mountain to pray to the Father and say, Lord, I'm here to surrender to your will, not my will. And hours later, that will will take him into a storm to rescue people that he loves. So they want him to be king. He prays and surrenders to the Father, and the Father sends him into a storm to rescue people he loves. This is incredible, because the next time that we find Jesus praying in the Gospel of Mark, the people are clamoring to make Jesus king. They're literally like, Hosanna, king, save us now. Jesus goes away to a desolate place, away from the, we want you to be king on our terms. He prays to the Father, surrenders his will, and a few hours later, that surrender will lead him into a storm to rescue people that he loves. Right, do you know the story? See, this time he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, a desolate place a quiet place, and he's saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the next storm he goes into, he's not going into the storm to meet his people. He's going into the storm in place of his people. Because the storm that he's gonna go into at the end of the gospel of Mark is the storm of God's judgment. And friends, whatever you think of God, God is so good, so holy, so loving. He's against anything that is hindering human flourishing. And the biggest thing that's doing that is our own sin. Like he hates sin. He wouldn't be good if he didn't hate sin. There's a punishment for sin. But this story of the storm is a microcosm of the good news of God's whole big story. Because it's like this. Jesus, God's all-powerful son, sees us in a storm that's eventually going to sink us. He sees us in our distress. He sees they can't save themselves. They're going to die. And so he leaves the safe place. He surrenders to the will of the Father. He identifies with us in our brokenness, in our pain, in our sin. And then he allows that storm to crush him so that it will never crush us. Okay, and that's your final point. Jesus faces the ultimate storm. He faces it alone to deliver you from the only thing that could ever really ruin you. So as we turn to Mark, this story is not a self-help manual for like how to get out of storms. It's a salvation story. It's not like here, you need a couple tips and tricks. It's like, no, you need the steadfast anchor of God's presence. Okay, what's that got to do with your storms today, your trials today, the conflict, the chaos, the confusion in your life today? Well, as I said earlier, As we go through frustration and futility and anger, and then like this just, you ever have like that desolation set into your soul where you're just like, I've given up hope. It's not going to change. Where is God? I don't think he even cares. And this ultimate storm that Jesus went into for you and for me to pay the price for our sin, to set us free is the hope now in every present storm. Like this storm is not God's punishment on your life because he punished Jesus in your place. He's not punishing you. They're also not pointless. They're they're there again to teach you. Like God wants to show you your limitations and your fears and your underlying beliefs and areas for growth and he wants to show you all about himself. And what we need to understand with every storm as I'm talking about the rescuer from storms is that in every single storm you face in life, either God will deliver you from it, which it's okay to pray for. God, rescue me. Take me out of this. Take this away. It's fine to pray that. He will either do that or he will faithfully be present with you in the storm as the anchor for your soul, faithfully doing a good work in you. So this week, just meditate on this. Jesus What right now are you trying to show me about me, like a growth area, an area where you want to challenge me? You want me to go deeper, away from my fear, into faith, into hope? What are you trying to show me about yourself that I'm forgetting or I didn't know? Not just so I know facts about you, so I know you. And will you help me to trust you that in every storm you are working for my good?